to the Pharaoh. I am your host, Darling Nisi. As always here on Muse, we like to talk about topics from a different angle to kind of get into the why of it all, or even explore some areas of the Prince world that aren't often talked about. In our first episode, we touched on how our lives changed since Prince transitioned. And even that in of itself is interesting that so many of us have had a shift occur in our lives since he moved on. If you step back and even consider that phrase by itself, my life changed when Prince died, that sounds a little strange, right? Like, why would that even be the case? Why does Prince have any sort of impact on the way I live my life? Or even why is it two years later and we're still in this vortex of whatever it is, grief, celebration of a legacy, a connection that was there before and still here now, maybe even to a greater degree for some? Why is this still a thing? Are we fanatics? Obsessed? Is it hero worship? Is he our friend? Today, we're going to explore some of these topics, and we're going to see where we end up. So joining me from the Muse crew, we have Fisayo. Hello. And Erica. Hi. Okay. So what is a fanatic anyway? Chuck. What are you doing? Oh man, this stuff is great. You're not supposed to be in there. You don't understand. I'm your biggest fan. My biggest fan? Yes, yes. If you would just meet me, you would see. To your right, there should be a dictionary. Look up the word fanatic. That's longhand for what you are. Over-enthusiastic, zealous beyond the bounds of reason. That's enough, thank you very much. I'm in complete control. Wild and often dangerous enthusiasm. So what do you guys think of when you think of the word fan or fanatic? Well, I think I, they're two different things. <laughs> um, fanatic is, well, it goes, I mean, think of how Prince defined it himself. He didn't want to call people fans because they were fans, like, because fanatic is such a weighty kind of word. But that is what I think of when I think of fanatic is somebody who's lost a bit of perspective <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. it's a little more intense of a relationship than it, um, than would be healthy. Let's say that. <laughs> yeah. I think like, um, when I think of fan, I think of it sort of differently. Like I actually, I guess it's connotation wise to me, a fan is something that's a little bit more, um, common, Folks will tend to refer themselves as a fan of so-and-so if they just generally admire someone. Um, usually if someone is using the term fanatic, then there might be some cause for concern. <laughs> like you're saying, like you said, there's like um, maybe a lack of critical thought or, um, you know, it's just on a different level um, with fanatic. It tends to be more negative. That's what I think of. Right, like at a football game, a fan is somebody who comes to, you know, you go to a couple games and you cheer for the team. But a fanatic is like the people Mm -hmm. who get like the front row season tickets and are like head to toe. And then they have like in their basement the, you know, the bar dedicated to the team or whatever. That would that's the difference for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Are you feeling some kind of way? Um. Maybe. Okay, we'll get to that part. But something else I I do want to also define in the context of our conversation today is icon as well. And we had some pre-reading that we wanted to do to kind of help contextualize some things. And uh, there's an article, The Personality Called of Prince, Purple Rain, Sex and the Sacred, and the Implicit Religion Surrounding a Popular Icon. 
And he talks about a, a popular icon, meaning someone who's transcended fandom and has a level of adoration equivalent to a religious figure. Um, popular icons usually have achieved fame, critical media success, uncritical popular adulation, financial independence, and are usually known only by one name. So he references Elvis, Lennon, Madonna, Bono, Jagger, and of course Prince. And then he also goes on to say that a popular icon is to be filled or inhibited by the viewer, by the consumer or fan. As Bing Crosby put it, every man who likes me sees in me the image of himself. And I think that's really interesting um, when you talk about the things that you're a fan of or that you are attracted to, or even institutions like um, different musicians or brands and different things like that. You like it because there's some part of it that reflects you or that you identify with because it's also your values. And um, I don't know, I think that's kind of interesting when it comes to Prince as well. But before we dig into Prince, uh, what do you guys think about even the concept of an icon? Usually I think of something that will define a point in time. Um, but it's also something that defines um, the figure themselves. So um, one thing that jumps to mind would be Michael Jackson's Moonwalk. Like that's an iconic point in time when he first performed that. And then um, that's an iconic dance that he brought back over and over again. You associate it with him, even though he's not the origin necessarily, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I would say Prince meets that qualification, especially, mm -hmm. you know, the Purple Rain era, of course. Yeah. That's what he's most known for. And when you, if you say Prince to people, that's like the image that's going to, that the people will, you know, conjure up is, is the opera shirts and the <laughs> purple trench coat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when, they, when you think about other fan cultures, do they seem as intense to you? Like, um, what are some of the other fandoms that you guys are part of and how do you compare it to the Prince one? Well... This is, it's a different demographic, but I've been in the, uh, we call it the gym internet. I'm a fan of gymnastics <laughs> and I have been for a lot. That was how I originally ended up on Tumblr was to, to follow. And the demographic there is, is typically younger teenage girls, uh, but they go hard and they say things like during the Olympics that they're going to fly to Rio and murder the judge that scored <gasps> Madison Koshin higher than Aliyah Mustafina. So... Also, not a lot of sanity there for the most part and stuff gets really taken out of context mm -hmm. and I have to kind of unsubscribe like I just have to unsubscribe from that because I'm like oh y'all are crazy you don't like there's literally no world perspective and like maybe she had the better routine that day and the judge was just doing their job <laughs> mm -hmm. so um it gets heated <laughs> it gets heated there that is you know the probably the only other kind of fandom that I'm directly involved with other than uh, Prince. Hmm. <laughs> what about you, Fazio? Me? Not so much. I mean, I've had just kind of like private obsessions. I guess because of the way I grew up, like I missed out on a lot of pop culture growing up. So I would just like pick one thing that I caught wind of and then just like focus on that for a long time. Um, so like... I know there was one summer when I was home from school, I decided to watch each and every J 
Johnny Depp movie I could get my hands on, yes. including every 21 Jump Street episode, <laughs> because I don't love myself. Um, that kind I of thing. I admire you so much for this commitment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've trailed off at some point. But um, yeah, so I just kind of like obsessively consume things, but I'm less acquainted with the community aspect of fandom in general. Like now I I get to observe a lot. So like, for example, I love Mariah Carey. So if I go on social media, I tend to see a lot of discourse around Mariah Carey because I follow other people who are also fans. So I kind of, I'm able to observe it a lot, but I have less experience like engaging in it. Mm-hmm. But because we're all online, I see a lot of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because I've always been a, a social person online versus in person. So mm-hmm. my whole social life is usually around fandoms. Like when I was eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, I was making websites for Sailor Moon and a bunch of anime. Mm-hmm. And it, it's exactly the same as now as how I engage with the Prince fandom. Because like, back then, on the internet, we had like uh, ICQ and like these message boards. And different things like that. When if you were on the internet back then, you were like a geek. And so it was kind of like our refuge to get away from all that. And so I was on message boards with like teenage girls who were obsessed with uh, anime or Lord of the Rings or X-Men and stuff like that. And so it's always been a community and the community always kind of overcame what it was that brought us together in a way. So we like I, I'm still mm-hmm. friends with them on the internet like 20 years later. Yeah. And I was, yeah. So I came into the, uh, I got deeper, deeper into Prince. I I never engaged with the online community because like I have an account from the org from like 2006, but it didn't have that same kind of family feeling as my other um, fandoms did. Like it seemed very, I don't want to say mean, but it was a little toxic even back then. And so I never really engaged with them. And so I I kind of just stayed by myself because I I perceived Prince fans to not be very nice or welcoming in the way that my other fandoms online had been. So it's really interesting to kind of see that play out now. Like, obviously, our group formed from being Prince fans and we are very close, but I don't feel that necessarily in other places online when it comes to prints. Yeah, I kind of feel that too in the way that, um, how do I put this? It's, it's something I find with Prince fans where it's like the, the attitude is, yes, we want, everybody should know about Prince. He's the greatest. I love him, but not my Prince, like, (laughs) but but hands off mine. It's very, um, it's a double-edged sword where it's like they, it's everybody should appreciate him, but uh, it's not as much as I do. Very protected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really interesting, and I I see that a lot and a lot, and I see it made, uh, played out in a couple different ways, and so I, I'm always fascinated in in that. And yeah, I'm guilty of that too because you guys know I'm always like, don't look up One Night Alone Prince. That's for me. <laughs> But because I, 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 somebody's posting a lot of clips from those concerts this week, and I'm just like, ah, people are gonna see and like this. But you know, <laughs> at the same time, it's like I want you to, and and we're gonna get into that a little bit later for the whys of that. But I, I just thought that was really interesting um, for someone who's known for being like one love for one another and bringing people together and acceptance and all that other stuff the fandom doesn't necessarily reflect that in a lot of ways. 
Right. And I was thinking about our very first episode. We were talking about going to celebration and stuff and realizing how personal of an experience you can have, but still be in a room like he the kind of artist that he was and the kind of um, performances he he brought and the way that his music was, was it was such a deeply personal experience that each individual person could have. But then you look around and you're in this room full of so many people. And that's kind of translates to the online experience as well as mm-hmm. he's so deeply personal to, to everyone. And then they look around and then you're like, oh, but you too? No, surely mm-hmm. not. You can't have the same experiences that I yeah, do yeah. with it. I, I was just thinking about our first episode and, and how that came up and, and kind of relates to this. Yeah. yeah. And it was almost because I'm thinking about the first time we went up there uh, Stephanie and I, she's also a muse person and our other friend. And the first event we went to was like a, a showing of under the cherry moon. And I think sign of the times. And we were so used to, you know, our group of being like age 20 to what, like 35, 36 talking about Prince every day and then going in a real space with real people and looking around who was there. And we were probably the youngest one in there by like 20 years, maybe. And it was interesting because it's like, oh, wow, that's right. Like the majority of the fans are generally um, maybe white women between the age of four, uh, like 38 to like 55, according to some of the metrics we have on Prince podcast um, from Facebook. And it's like, wow, it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of be hit with that reality of that. And mm-hmm. then also to realize when we're engaging with the fans or fans online, they are generally of that age group, whether no matter the sex or the gender or the race. They're generally older and it's kind of scary in some ways because and a lot of people are like, it's a, a young fan is the best kind of fan because, you know, you pass the baton behind you. But at the same time, it's like the extra kind of complexity of blaming younger kids for not knowing things they should know. And you weren't there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't. <laughs> it's very hard to explain that. It's like or to even explain Prince for someone like if you didn't get to experience that in real time, but also if it's if if it's like almost a fear, like we know Prince is amazing, but what if people don't get it because they weren't there to experience it in a way? Right. I don't know. I might have been rambling there, but um, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's just kind of a fear that I have because we're young and we're not like you know teenagers whatever but I, I even don't understand snapchat like i don't understand how to explain <laughs> prince to a younger person other than just listen and see where you connect to it you know that was the big yeah, thing exactly. that popped up out of the um the most recent episode of blackish well the prince episode oh, yes those little babies just didn't get it and you don't know the best way to pass it on because like you said everyone has a personal experience who is a fan there's like a personal reason why but then it's hard to then go and orchestrate that experience in order to pass it on to someone when you don't, you know, you're not of their generation or you're not of the same background as them. Like it's going to be something different for them if it yeah. is at all. Yeah. And then what happens if it's not at all? No, no. I mean, that's right. cool. <laughs> no, it's not cool. It's not cool. Because <laughs> uh, I was talking to someone on Twitter yesterday because they were like, how do kids not know? But I was like, well, I was on my Alexa yesterday and I was like, Hey Alexa, play Prince. And she's like, play print, playing Prince from Spotify. And and I, in my head, I, I said, don't play purple rain. Don't play kiss. Don't play uh, raspberry beret. And the three songs that she played in mm-hmm. that order 
where mm-hmm. those three songs, <laughs> right in that order. I'm like, and that's how are they supposed to know about the other stuff when the algorithms always play the things that are always heard, you know? True. Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of these younger kids are going to be hearing this from the streaming services. So it's it's like the algorithm works for you and works against you in the way of, you know, learning those those deeper cuts that the rest of us complain like, well, why haven't you heard the gold experience or why haven't you heard the rainbow children? Because they haven't been exposed to it. So how can they love it mm-hmm. unless they do the work to actually listen to all of it? Mm-hmm. Right. And he has such an overwhelming amount of work that it's like it can be off-putting, like, well, I don't know where to start. Because yeah. I know I felt like that, and I, but I also was, like, I was committed to, like, well, I'm going to listen to everything because I've decided to. I needed something to be obsessed with this month, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but, right, like, are, will people do that, I guess? I don't know. Mm. Mm. Especially in the way that we all connect to him it's not necessarily just the music there's deeper parts so let's talk about those deeper top parts the the lifelong connections to prince or the things that you do resonate with that stays with you for your whole life um so going back to some of the things that we read talking about how do you even become an icon how is an icon created and it's interesting, some of the things they noted in this article talking yeah. about. This is what you listed before. Um, fame, critical media success, popular adulation, financial independence, and they're usually only known by one name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or even like the the creation of the world around them. They were talking about merchandise, yeah. um, being three-dimensional, moving multimedia creation based on the character of the performer, but leading myth and fantasy into a hyper real legend using public relations companies, press releases and media manipulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's the machine. It's so interesting. It was so interesting how they just like, I don't know, succinctly described that, but that's basically it. Yep. Or even like the part it says, holding back information about stars leaves space for observers to fill in the gaps with the, with themselves. Identification with or rejection of these signifiers is used to tell the observer's own stories. And the thing I, I, this article really defines and puts words to a lot of the things that happened around how Prince became an icon. But the thing I struggled with was how contrived it seemed in the description of that was his intent to become an icon by kind of psychologically manipulating the fans, which which it, it kind of has to happen, you know, like that's human nature to respond to things that way when you're engaged that way. But it, it mm-hmm. kind of bothered me in the way that it seems so just contrived. Does if that make sense? It does, but I kind of look at it from as him trying to replicate what had already been done. So, like, at this point, there's already been a James Brown. There's already been an Elvis. It's already been a Be- the Beatles. So I just think of it as, like, him trying to get to that level as well. And I think if if it was intent, I think he kind of just figured out what he needed to do and then put those steps into place. I don't know. It doesn't bother me quite so much. Since he's yeah. not like the first icon ever, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I do think there was quite a bit of calculation on his part 
as to how to get to that level and become that. It's, I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You know, it worked really well, but as mm -hmm. like, if you're, if you're considering yourself as fan, because my nine to five is generally the same thing. It's cognitive ergonomics. It's exactly looking at theory, understanding how people think about things, understanding their insecurities, and then creating systems around that so that they feel seen and understood and things are intuitive in what we produce. But it's like when you apply that to someone like outside of the context of work or what you're trying to build to sell them things in a, in a way that helps them. Like, this is very personal. Like it, it feels like the way that was written and even the, the way that it came out. Like I have insecurities about myself. Sometimes I'm lonely. Sometimes I want to feel beautiful and it feels a little weird like that the way this is written anyway, that someone would play on those things to sell me a product or to sell me their brand so that I would support them financially in the way that this is written. I'm not sure that Prince had that intent as much as it was kind of like, I want you to listen to me because I have real things to say. And the things that I'm saying are things you resonate with because you go through them too. And I'm not so much selling you product. I'm selling you, you, or not even selling you anything. I'm, I'm, putting myself out there and if I get money from it, cool, but I just want you to hear this music and hear these messages. Yeah, it does. Right. No, I, I think he definitely there is integrity in his artistry for sure. Mm -hmm. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't just a product that he was pushing. He was genu genuinely invested in it and it was something he you know, an artistic expression and not something to be sold. <laughs> I yeah. think the other the, you know, maybe his image and the way that he was with the press and or and not doing interviews, um, that was more calculated than say, you know, his music. Yeah, I think like Does that make sense? It does. It's a little <laughs> it's a little hard to explain. Yeah, I think I the paper kind of takes out the humanity or I don't know, the organic nature of music in general. Like in general, music will speak to you in a personal way and it's going to be different for everyone. But I think the benefits and maybe like he calls it hollowing uh, the figure, the public oh, figure, the hollowing themselves yeah. out, which is a really that weird was... way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> like erasing every aspect kind of, of that is that. <laughs> yeah, distinct to you so that someone else can project that onto, onto you know, project that. I think that's a really clinical way to describe just the fact that music is personal in general. Like I've, that's just how we relate to things is by projecting a little bit onto it. And I think it makes sense for like an artist to like, sometimes artists won't want to explain, you know, the origin of a song because they don't want to take away from the experience that other people have listening to it. Mm -hmm. Something an artist wrote right. will mean something completely different to like a fan who's listening and, and it's still valid in a way. So you don't want to take that away. So I, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. It's definitely, yeah, I, I would agree. Like, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. A lot of times if, if art is explained, it can kind of lose, um, not depth, but kind of lose the importance of it. Or you might lose that connection to it if it's explained or you might not get, it might not make you feel a certain way anymore. Like, um, for instance, 
instance, let's can we talk about Nothing Compares to You? Yeah. <laughs> about how that song is so this is a good example of it though. It is, yeah. So that song is so it's it's so sweet and it's everybody just makes everybody cry and it's so deeply personal and you know, longing for this person. And then Susan Rogers was like, Oh, it's it's about his housekeeper. <laughs> His housekeeper uh, left and he was just in shambles and couldn't manage his life and he just missed her so much. Like all the flowers in the yard, they died when you went away. Uh, personally, for me, that gives me so much more enjoyment for it. I will never cry at that song again. I will only feel elation. But that is, I think, an example of if that were really widespread, which it has been. She's done many interviews about it. But like the more people that would know that might not feel that connection and that you know, it might not make them feel a certain way anymore. <laughs> yeah. Context is key. <laughs> that's why it's so key. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's the thing. Like everyone's always talking about these certain songs or who they were written about and all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't really care to me. Yeah. I am Martha. Mm-hmm. I am, you exactly. know, like all these different things. And I was thinking yeah. about this earlier. Like when you think of groups that are group like in syncs or, you know, the temptations or whatever, and they're singing about love and the object is like they're saying you and you it's a different mm-hmm. kind of impact when a group of people are saying that versus one person saying that but it feels like a million days if i had a magic wand that could turn back time i'd never let you go away i didn't have the heart to say i'm sorry I haven't got a heart at all I could tolerate the pain if I could talk to my best friend But you won't even call When Prince is in your ear talking about how he wants to do things to you or he wants to be there for you and everything, it's very intimate. Um, versus, you know, like a group of people saying that. And it kind of creates this... A group of people shouting, I can't help myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> or even like when you're talking about being lonely and like from a male perspective where you're pining after this girl and it's like his what Prince is saying are things that you've lived through and that's your life and things that you wish you could say. Or... Again, on the Blackish episode where he was like, well, what would Prince do? And it's it's kind of like interesting because we we see in Prince, because you hear all the stories how he used to be the geek and got, used to get beat up and put in his locker and all that other stuff in the stories about how he was younger. And a lot of us who are Prince fans also had similar experiences of being an outcast. And we get to see this person who's stylish and sexy and um, not traditionally beautiful in the sense that he wasn't tall and dark and handsome and everything, but he still came across as this very uh, sexy man who a lot of people wanted to be in a, or have or own or be the object of affection of. And it's, it's, it's a place that is supportive in some ways, but also in some ways kind of dangerous. Um, definitely gives away kind of agency mm-hmm. over your own life to say you're projecting all this on this person who's human and he's created this mythology around him to where he can kind of maintain some of his own privacy but also be that person for millions of people around the world mm. and, and that there's one something else that paper mentioned about like the fan clubs 
often run by the management of the musician, allow the audience to feel more intimately involved with the star. And it also allows the musician to market directly to the most interested and obsessive members of the audience, building a personality cult. And it's like, and it goes, again, it goes back to Ooh. yikes, <laughs> because it's true, <laughs> but also how, how, how can you just like take all of that stuff that feels so personal to me? And then the way you described it is like, I've been manipulated to buy things, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's always just that. Like, I think selling your music is always going to be a part of it. But I don't know. I feel like there has to be right. some other kind of benefit of a fan club or fan community. Like, um, I don't know. I think it might be helpful for a star, maybe someone who was in Prince's position, um, especially later on when he's like sort of out of the limelight, limelight, he still has a group of people that he can kind of appeal to. I don't only see it as manipulative. I just think of it as focused. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like I do. back to the usability <laughs> testing stuff. Like, what do you guys think about this? And, you know. Yeah. You have like a group of people to direct your stuff at. Because um, you're built an audience. A built-in audience when you no longer have a grasp on, like, the entire world like you might have had at Purple Rain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to me. And I think the way he navigated throughout the 90s also makes sense how he was using the Internet. So, like, kind of going into that, like, how how Prince becomes so personal um, and then also the notion of authenticity. Um, there, There was a... I'm still, we're still going off of the same paper talking about, um, it's different. Like when you think about movie stars, right? So you know that you're watching a movie, you know, they're playing a character and then you leave at yeah. the end of the day and it's like, okay, that's done. But you're not like, oh my gosh, that one character in that movie, even though I know it's fake, I'm just obsessed with him now, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about like musicians or pop stars, you, you hear something on the radio, you get their album, they've created this, you know, mythology around the album, and then you get to see them in person performing not only that album, but just all this stuff from their whole career. And it seems like they're real because they're standing in front of you, they're saying things to you, they're dancing with you. If you get pulled up on stage, they're, mm -hmm. they seem like a real person. And while that's true, it's still, in a way, an act or is it? Yeah, because it blurs it blurs the lines between, like the paper was saying, it blurs the lines between that myth that they created and then kind of like in a concert um, setting, just like a physical manifestation or a physical image of what they've been projecting. So yeah, it's hard. I think if you're thinking, I'm thinking of Purple Rain. Mm -hmm. I just think it'd yeah. be really difficult to see a real who was really Prince Rogers Nelson just because you're dancing with the man on stage. Right. For me, it's just making me think of people like um, like Lady Gaga or Sia, where they have a pretty intense onstage personality which seems like it would be in a way to distance themselves th their own private life 
from mm-hmm. what's on stage. Whereas Prince was kind of always Prince and always, I don't know, I guess, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> he seems like the person who's on stage but is he, also the person yeah. behind stage. Thank you yeah. For- he seems that <laughs> yeah, way. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I just want to, you know, point out the word that I seems because, you know, we all listen to bootlegs and it's interesting to hear like a show Prince and how he presents and listen to that same show in the sound check or in an after show sound check. You might hear some or worse, a rehearsal, a rehearsal. <laughs> because my personal favorite. <laughs> yeah, because like you're going to hear okay. him say things in a rehearsal he would never say on stage in front of an audience or use words that he would never or be short with people. Like he's not generally going to correct a musician on stage, of course. But in a rehearsal or a sound check, he's going to like rail on Wendy for not being able to solo. Later in the mic, I'm weak. I can't solo on G-flat. Come on, later in the mic. curse or it I mean it's it's a different perspective and he recognized that because i think um what was it i'm not sure it was under the cherry moon or something and i think wendy or something was drinking a beer and she got in trouble for that because she did it in public mm-hmm. for other people to see and it's like there there's something right and that wasn't he didn't want people, people like kids are gonna see that and think it's yeah. cool to do because you did it because you're in this band and you have an elevated sense of responsibility now yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, it's interesting because that's kind of the most interesting part about prince because there's such a strong brand around his public persona it's very hard sometimes for people to hear stories of what he was really like and especially if it kind of um competes with their image that they hold in their mind as far as what he represents. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that for him, I think he was always very aware. He was really perceptive of who, of what people thought of him and what, uh, the way that he acted and how people perceived him. And, and, um, I mean, we know he was on Twitter, (laughs) reading everything we know he was googling reviews of shows which you know he from my understanding from reading everything that we have and you know listening to all the interviews that we have he did that was a career-long thing he wanted to know what everybody thought and I feel like he used all that information to his advantage to be who people thought he should be does that to some de- yeah because yeah. and that's crazy because the whole thing is like Prince has always been about you be you, you be your authentic self, while also taking into account what people like to, in a way, adjust himself to be that. too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did want to ask a question um, of Erica, and I'm not going to put you on front street yes. or anything, but you are actually <laughs> in a long-term relationship with someone who is a celebrity to some degree. And, and there's the, you know, the notion of the public persona and the private persona. And mm-hmm. can you kind of talk a little bit about that and how they deal with that or just anything you want to share? It's interesting because he's 
very, I would say he's pretty honest on social media about the kind of person he is and things that he likes. And that's not so much, he, he's happy to present that side of himself, but there's also like, he won't post pictures of me on his Instagram feed because the, those fans might, he's like, I don't want them to find you and then stalk you. And in the same term, he'll be like, don't post that. I can't post like, Oh, just hanging out at home alone. My man's on tour because like they could find out like Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be safe because it'd be pretty easy to track me down in or whatever, track down where he lives or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know if that's, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just wondering, do you ever encounter um, fans and do you ever sense or like, are you able to see that disconnect between how like a fan um, or someone who follows him perceives him and how he really is? (laughs) Well, I just I think that he presents himself pretty authentically, Mm -hmm. at least like on the Internet, as far as people in his band. Like the only thing that I can think of is that, like, I listened to an interview And he, the interviewer was like, oh, so how do you manage like being such like a down to earth guy when you're so like steeped in Hollywood? And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't go to events because I have just massive social anxiety. So that's like another person that's just he's not afraid to be his authentic self Mm -hmm. in public, but is also intensely private where he'll he doesn't put too much personal stuff out there, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Erica, um, so we're talking about, you know, the ability to kind of keep your own privacy while also, you know, being this blank wall, basically, for people to reject a lot of stuff onto. And I know you have some experience professionally kind of being that to several people in the industry that you worked in. So can you talk a little bit about that? I'm not going to like out you as what you did, but just your experience um, as far as being just a, a kind of uh I, i'm not sure <laughs> a person a person of interest on the internet <laughs> um i for me i have always been an internet person and i love to be out there i had like i had a live journal and i had like a myspace and i was very public um but i kind of quickly mastered the art of saying a lot without saying anything at all. So I, you know, if, if you, I think I deleted all like uh, most places that you could find blogs or whatever I had written. But if you like look at my Instagram, I post a lot and I talk a lot and I say a lot, but I don't put, it's nothing personal. Like I'm like, Oh, here's my dogs is, is probably as personal as, as I get. Or, but then in, you know, I don't talk about, Oh, guys having a really bad mental health week or whatever. <laughs> like, I keep that stuff private and I don't talk about, like, oh, my boyfriend's going on tour. You know, I don't post that. I just, and it's like the same on Tumblr or whatever or Twitter. If you follow me, I'll post like stupid stuff or funny thoughts that I have, but it's not really like intensely personal. Um, and I get a lot of people, like, or I'll post videos of, like, dancing around my house real stupid, and people are like, oh, my God, I, you're my best friend. I'm like, but you don't know anything about me. <laughs> it's interesting, for sure. Did that answer your it question? Did. Yeah. Or even, like, <laughs> okay. when you were, um, you had that role that you had that was very public, like, how, how mm-hmm. was that for people to say and, 
all these things to you about what they thought of you or, you know, the negativity and the positivity and people are like, I want to marry you someday. Like that has to get weird. Like, how do you deal with that? Um, it does get weird. Uh, <laughs> it does. Um, I don't know. I have a pretty thick skin when it comes to that stuff and I'm able to like laugh it off. Like people would write me and be like, how can you sleep at night? And like ask me questions about like the business that I worked for or whatever. And it was like, I was like, I don't care. I don't take any of it personally. And I kind of, I always had like, I feel like I had a pretty good head on my shoulders of like, oh, this person wants this from me or this person expects this and this is what they want to hear. And a lot of times it was really easy to tell them what they wanted to hear or block them (laughs) completely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I try not, I don't take it too personally. And when people, like if people write me, which people will write me like on Instagram or they'll find me on Tumblr or whatever and be like, Oh, I want to be in a restaurant or say weird stuff to me. And I'm like, I either don't answer. I just say, okay. Or like have a, I kind of like, um, just like a really kind of shallow relationship where I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Cool beans or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, then, and then not get any deeper than that. Just a really surface level interaction yeah kind of i've kind of mastered those okay makes sense makes sense because yeah i'm like i am not a celebrity or anything but like i can see like for some of the larger prince personalities out there um because i i I start people are starting to know me a little bit now so if i'm out in public someone's like oh are you darling nisi i'm like why do you know me that's really weird (laughs) because i don't post a lot of pictures of myself it's usually just like the one avatar thing but i guess I'm pretty connected on Facebook. I, I'm not, you know, you can make the connection of who I am. But it's always kind of weird that people know you and they know your face or they know your name and you have no idea. Or this is like the culture of people connecting to what you say. And then you become like this figure mm-hmm. that they kind of follow um, and mm-hmm. they care about your opinion about things. And it's just like, but I want you to also have opinions like please disagree with me. And I'm not any kind of extra informed than anyone else. It's just, these are my opinions. And, and I, I kind of feel like, you know, being in a position where you have a voice and people are listening, it's interesting because you do have a responsibility for what you're saying, but also you have to stay true to who you know yourself to be too. So it's, it's a dance of, um, not wanting to incite people, but also making sure that they have information or that you're sharing your art in the most authentic mm-hmm. way to you while also not giving up catering to other people to where you lose your own voice. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. I, I would never want to be actually famous. <laughs> Hats off to those of you who are. <laughs> oh, Lord, no. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think I would lose my mind. Mm, I don't know how I would do it's like with that. Like my little fake two year rotation dating prince. Uh, I never want to be seen in public with him and he'd be mad at me about that. Like, go take someone else. Okay. So on that role mm. of fantasy of dating prince, we did a little quiz. Um, it was a celebrity attitude scale and it's like this, um, developed in measure to measure attitudes towards favorite celebrities. And it has three subscales. It's, um, Entertainment, social, like I love to talk with others who admire my celebrity. 
intense personal, I am obsessed by the details of my favorite celebrity's life, and borderline pathological, I often feel compelled to learn the personal habits of my favorite celebrity. So each of us took this quiz, and I want to talk about how we did on it, and I will actually share the link so you guys can take it too to see how where you fall. But who wants to go first? Josiah, where are you at, girl? <laughs> What'd you score? Okay, for intense personal, I only scored a one, and that was because I answered a four or higher to the question, oh. I enjoy watching, reading, or listening to Prince because it means a good time. Um, and then for yeah, fair. I feel like it's completely fair. I for, I said yes to that one as well because yeah. that's the point, right? <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, I mean, what else is there? <laughs> um, for entertainment <laughs> social, I got a two, and that was because I had responded to. I'm obsessed by details of Prince's life <laughs> and <laughs> learning the life story of Prince is a lot of fun. Um, and then for borderline pathological, um, I scored a one and that was because I answered, I love to talk with others who admire Prince. I don't, I don't, feel, <laughs> I don't feel this is fair. I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel that question is fair either because I like to talk to you guys. That's how we all know each other. And we have formed intense friendships and lifelong relationships yeah. from this. So I reject yeah, the question. Too. I feel it is unfair. I feel unfairly judged. Also, I don't like to talk to Prince with everybody. <laughs> I, do, I do. Wow. I don't like to talk about Prince with everybody because you never know what you're going to get. Well, yeah. he gay. Why do you have to look like such a freak? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I said, <laughs> so how did you score, Erica? Um, in the intense personal relationship, I got two. I don't even know which question. Oh, well, because I said that I have pictures or souvenirs. And some of that isn't my fault. People buy them for me. I can't help that. Oh, yeah. Not fair. And then, uh, let's see. Um... So what's the second one? Entertainment social. That one I got one. Um, and then borderline pathological. I got one. And I think that one was the same. I am obsessed by details. To be fair, <laughs> I will justify every answer I have. <laughs> we do it as a group and it is a hobby. Exactly. That's Which is we... equally as creepy. <laughs> Darn it. But that is a normal part of friendship is shared it interests. Is. Like, <laughs> um, it is so. I feel unfairly judged. Go on, I don't mine. <laughs> So yeah, of course, mine are all higher because you know, like here I am. I have a podcast about Prince, and then I contribute to podcasts about Prince, and then I also talk to people about their books about Prince, and obviously, it's a big part of my life. So intense personal, I got five. And I got all the, I noted all the ones that you guys did. And, you know, the intense personal ones, I feel like, again, if you're a fan of anything, you tend to do these things. Like, you tend to um, talk to other people about 
prints. You tend to yeah. have pictures and souvenirs. You tend to um, keep up with news about the person. It's like that's kind of how you engage with the fandom by learning about the fandom, right? Um, yeah. So for entertainment social, I got three. So basically, again, the same ones that you guys did. And then I feel that, you know, the borderline <laughs> pathological <laughs> aren't that bad, but I, I got three. So let me let me go back and see. So um, so like I got the ones that you guys did. Like I like watching and hearing about Prince when I'm with a large group of people. Like who doesn't? Celebration's a hugely fun time, even though mm-hmm. we're there for a sad reason. It's like it's very amazing to be up there. And then um, let me see, fifteen and twenty-five. Uh, again, I love to talk with others who admire Prince, of course, because that's the point. And then I think I said one for the unexplainable connection that you can't explain. And um, I, I link that not to necessarily, you know, Prince and me, whatever, but more like if I think about it surface wise and I don't deeply think about why I like Prince so much or why I'm still in this, it seems unexplainable. But if I actually sit down and think about the reasons why, which we'll talk about in a second, then it it all can be explained and it, and it goes back to that whole projection thing, right? Like if you are, because like even back when I was a huge Sailor Moon fan and I still am like, I'll, I'll, they're coming out with new episodes like every couple of years in the new iteration. Every time I hear the theme song for that, I get emotional and I almost start to cry because I remember being in front of the TV age, like 10 years old. I used to watch it every day after school. It was a time in my life where I was really like, I didn't have a lot of friends. And so I created this whole fantasy life where like I was a sailor scout and I was like sailor Pluto's guardian. And like, (laughs) I, it was just this thing. It was my place to go that was safe. And, Mm -hmm. um, I felt supported because of my imagination and because of these magical girls who taught me at the time to be empowered and to be strong and to believe in myself at the time where I needed support in doing that. So I can see how, like, if you're, you know, a lifelong, you know, it's 1979, you're 10 years old, or even 78, you're 10 years old, you see this, this black dude who's like, super gorgeous, and he's singing about stuff that seems bad, but isn't, and you relate to it, and this person's a part of your life, or even if it's been 20 years since you really paid attention to him, that was a really important part of your life and your upbringing, and the foundational to who you are. So like, Mm -hmm. I can see how, you know, when you say you have a personal connection with Prince that can't be explained. And and when you think about it, like surface wise, it can't, but when you really think about it, really, I really think it could Mm -hmm. be explained. So I I gave myself a four on that one. It should be three. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I have three for that. I'm not, I understand. I mean, that's my relationship with a lot of musicians like David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. I also feel the same way about where with the times that I, uh, got really into them like I heard I would I had heard a song and at that time in my life where I was it was the message that I needed to hear and it gave me you know the emotional fortitude to carry on or to you yeah. know it was like I can remember being at 
I, I was in college and I just never fit in anywhere and I felt just like the weirdest person and that nobody would ever understand the kind of like I was just doomed to be at this college with all these just homogenous beings that all had the same interests that there weren't anything that I was interested in and then you know I, I heard life on Mars and I heard you know pussy control <laughs> and I just I heard you know and I heard I want to break free and I was like I get it. I get that's that's who I am. This is I can be my weird self. I don't need to, you know, fit in with someone. And I that message was really inspirational for me and kind of shaped Mm -hmm. who I went on to be. So it it was very much like hearing it at the right place at the right time and then feeling a draw, a pull to know more about that person and more about their artwork and, you know, be inspired by it. So um, on that note, talking about uh, we did what it means to be a fan, what it means to be an icon, and we talked a little bit about how we engaged with our fandoms and um, just in that celebrity attitude scale, which is woefully misscored, just saying. Um, Let's kind of talk about that from the other perspective of being the object of all of these hopes and dreams of everyone. Um, So there's another article that we were reading. It was mostly talking about Nicki Minaj and some drama that she was going into, but I thought it was a really good one because it talked about um, fame is not a safe space, how fame is in a safe space. And... I'm just going to read part of it. It says, we don't know the celebrities we dissect on the Internet. We know a selected segment of their public persona and their performance. And from this space, the public creates narratives. This is where we create conversations online based on what we think we know from our own entertainment. There's no way to truly know the truth of a famous person because it's a huge part of celebrity culture is maintaining that fantasy. And the most essential parts of sustaining that fantasy is ensuring partly or fully the public believes the fantasy as the entire reality. And so does the celebrity in question. The the interesting part of that sentence, the last one, is so does the celebrity in question. Um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, as it relates to Prince, um, it kind of brings to mind what can happen if the public figure kind of believes the myth that they created. And I was trying to think if, um, well, it's hard to speak for, you know, someone else, but um, in some ways there might've been, I don't know what I'm trying to say. He might've been maybe just the act of hiding behind the public, the figure that he created. Maybe he kind of got confused on his own. Do you guys think that might be? Or it's like the expectations um, yeah, it's oh. like you have to live up to this thing that you created, and then how? Because at you know, adv- we always laugh about you know, jam of the year, Prince, and how <laughs> he's doing a lot, and and it's a little bit different than even a couple of years prior, like in the Act Two fame or you know era, where he's really smooth and everything, but it's still a little more reserved or something, and then you go through the ultimate live and then to the jam where it's just like all over (laughs) the place with profanity (laughs) and he's humping things and it's very vulgar. And then right after that, kind of reeling it back in with, um, as he's picking up religion 
and it's always just like he projected who he wanted to project but also it was still how he wanted to be seen um from a from a still kind of distant way if that makes sense do you guys have thoughts mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. later you know when we hear he's huge about not cursing and then mm-hmm. um that last piano microphone gala he accidentally said like a bitch and everyone's like oh you know it's like does that count i don't know maybe but <laughs> but it, it's it's like hearing the stories of you know how he's perceived in the media before he passed uh, and then hearing the stories and or even that ebony article that a lot of people thought was fake and he would never say those things and not only did he say them but they were his literally his words that were recorded and then written down. Like a lot of people had trouble with what he was saying there. And even if you go to that housequake article and read the comments on it, it, a lot of people were saying he was out of touch and he was old and all this other stuff. And and or even on the org, Erica, you mentioned, you know, seeing how they were speaking of him before he passed away, and then afterwards, all of a sudden, he can't be touched. Oh, you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Go look up reviews from shows from like 2010, 2011. People hated him, and then you go click on that person's profile, and they're like, "I cry every day for my sweet friends." Like, yeah, huh? Yeah, sure you do. Yeah. So it's kind of like um, somebody. I think Omar had tweeted the lyrics to "Love" from Thirty One Twenty One. And if you listen to that song, it kind of says, "Stop telling me what you want me to hear. Stop telling me what you want me to fear." Stop tripping on something you overheard. Love is winning without a word. Stop giving me your wish list. Love is free from all this. Like a bird flying over the field top. Love is like the sky. You know it never stops. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Love is whatever, whatever you want it to be. So, like, hearing him say things like that, especially in a time that um, I know talking to some people who were working for him around that time, he was very much looking at what people were saying because he was going through a tough time um, around 2006, 5, 6, 4, 5, 6, <laughs> really all his life. But um, <laughs> he was on the message boards looking about what people were saying, and people were very cruel. Like, Prince fans can be very cruel, and they were very cruel to Prince and he saw that and it's like how how do you how do you live <laughs> living up to everybody's expectations wanting to be yourself but also taking into account all this feedback that you're getting and and right yeah it's tough I feel like he went through stages he went through he kind of cycled through phases where it would be like on one hand like kind of appeal to people and then go swing in the opposite the pendulum swings in the opposite direction with like face down where he's like fuck all y'all <laughs> like it's it's kind of it, on any given day it was like oh i'm gonna make this because it, i'm gonna do this because i think it will appeal in this way and then it would be like ah fuck it <laughs> like, i'm gonna be who i'm gonna be it was it, he kind of did a little bit of both but of that gemini 
doing personalities. <laughs> right. You think that might be like to degree he's maybe projecting his own aspirations. Mm. Like maybe he wanted to be someone who, for example, didn't curse and um, that kind of thing. Maybe he was, you know, creating something that he wanted to be as well. I don't. I mean, yeah, because like that's a really interesting thing. Like when I see people talk about Prince on social media, they'll, you know, the the sweet Prince and he's an angel and he believed in love and all this other stuff. Which it, you can be more than one person at once. Of course, the duality is a thing. But also to hear people, you know, the stories of people who've worked with him, and it wasn't always that. Sometimes he was very cruel and very. um not about that love and very judgmental and things like that and exactly the opposite of what he's saying about so it yeah the deification of of prince is a little bit a little bit too rich for my blood right (laughs) i I can't get on board with that and it kind of like i would go as far as to say that cost me some friendships that i've been like yeah you know there is some truth to some situations if you look all the signs are there and then people don't aren't really um excited about hearing that yeah because it, 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 <laughs> it competes with that image they have in their mind and and there's mm-hmm. actually a part right. of that article that says you know um the relent- the relentless attacks of the fanatic towards the folks that dissent against the artist is not about the artist it's about the fanatic the artist represents ideas and desires that the fanatic desperately needs to believe in and when someone attacks that idea they're attacking the sense of reality and security if the artist represents talent, hope, beauty, meaning, and the possibility of the fanatic's own glory, then dissent against that artist is not simply an opinion on the artist. It's an attack on the fanatic's self-esteem and worldview. And I think that is really deep. And 100%. really also like, <laughs> ouch. Because I know I've encountered that sometimes on Tumblr. You guys know who I'm talking about. Like when I when I <laughs> speak about any of the women that are associated with Prince in a positive way, they come at me calling me names or like calling the person names just because I support, you know, this person that Prince believed in and produced and wrote music for. Or mm-hmm. even like some of the things that, you know, when when people recognize because we have this um, whole series on Prince as a black man that we're in the middle of and that sometimes riles people up because in their mind he wasn't he, or he was colorblind or he repre- he transcended race which is the mm. thing that i hate when people say you can't overcome mm-hmm. race that's not a thing even one of those papers says he didn't present himself as black or white he presented oh, himself as purple God. yeah i my blood <laughs> boiled yeah <laughs> but that's 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 the reality for a lot of people especially prince fans where they that they just want him to be this figure that they can just believe in and titillates them and entertains them, but also is them in some way. And, and when you kind of point out things about him that they can't relate to, that takes away their ability to kind of fully enjoy him in the way that they want to. And and not to say that, you know, you have to accept all of his humanity and everything else. Like if you want to gauge um, based on the, the mythology of Prince, because that's how you relate to him, that's fine. You don't have to dig deeper. 
but kind of like also recognize that he exists outside of his music and outside of what he's done. He's also a human. And maybe sometimes that music is a way for him to express himself, but he is also a person outside of that as well. Even though he says, I am music, absolutely. But he's also a human man. I feel like I'm just talking a lot. You guys feel free to. (laughs) (laughs) It was a statement, not a question. (laughs) And you said it so well. I know. I don't, I don't disagree. Yeah. It happens a lot. Like it's something that you just kind of get used to, especially nowadays. I feel like that building of a image and then tearing down that image happens like a lot more frequently. I don't know if it's just me. With social media, it just seems like I'm constantly... Are you speaking to cancel culture? <laughs> I believe <laughs> well, you yeah, can't coined that term in our group. <laughs> oh, no, that's definitely not my term. But, yeah, that's kind of thing. Like, I don't know, I just... It, that process of, like, I don't know, someone entering the public space and then kind of reconciling who that person really is, or there's a lot of yeah stuff that comes to light about a person you kind of have to reconcile that that's been happening a lot well i know we talked about it on the first episode about like reading my taste book and learning some things about prince and about the way that he was and about you know what happened at the end of their relationship that made you or even at the beginning of the relationship (laughs) where i know like i it was crystal who was like i needed to take a couple days and kind of like accept that accept that he you know he wasn't perfect. He wasn't, you know, he was as flawed as any of us. And kind of, I feel like, um, to, to, it's important to allow him to be flawed, Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. a flawed character like the rest of us. Like I said, the, you know, the deification of him makes me so angry because I just don't, I don't know if you, yeah, yeah, it is unfair. (laughs) And And I feel like, yeah, no, go on. Yeah, because we were were watching a show yesterday (laughs) and there's this one part is like an act one or act two show where one of the game boys is like tearing the clothes off a woman and while she's fighting him to, you know, it's assault, but you know, mm-hmm. or entertaining part of our Prince show. you like, that would not mm. fly now. And a lot <laughs> of the stuff, like if you start to dig and really read about it, wouldn't fly now. Like, uh, Maite being so young when they got started, like 16, 17 years old. And it was a pattern, like Anna Fantastic was 16 or 17. Robin Power was 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pattern. And he, while he was in his thirties for a lot of these times. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. yikes, but also why do we let him get away with it? Or why, why are we like, Oh, it's fine. It's Prince. Like we, we, we know <laughs> a lot of stuff, but it's just like, but it's okay. But is it, but it's, it's that interesting kind of, he, he, we, we let him, we just let him. <laughs> well, we acknowledge the, that it's problematic. Yeah. Yeah, but you know he's not here anymore, so we move on, enjoy the art, yeah. <laughs> and separate from the art from the artist, and and move on. Yeah, and that thing that kind of comes up when you learn something that's not as pleasant—I don't know if it's like cognitive dissonance or something—you just kind of, well, I don't know. I I tend to just talk to myself and say, you know, it was wrong what he did, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, things along that line. And both things can be true. It can be like a great artist and still have made a really terrible life decision <laughs> yeah. that no one else should make, you know. 
two things are true at the same time. Yeah. Um, so there's this one other part. Uh, there's been a big brouhaha over Lauren Hill and the legacy that she has as well. Um, her miseducation album being really important and at the time being very forward thinking and she had knocked down a lot of barriers to do it. And there's been like this recent kind of, but is she all that kind of campaign around her? And she never really addressed it in public. She just kind of let people say what they want to say because, you know, people are going to believe what they want. And Prince always kind of had that similar way of addressing his audience when it came to his personal things. And there was um, an article that she wrote um, about in her own defense, speaking up for herself. And I just mm-hmm. want to read a little bit of it. And she says, um, most people don't know, but there was a tremendous amount of resistance when I made this album. It was my first time making a solo recording. It was my first time outside of the Fugees. People were skeptical. I remember I ended up recording some of the album in New Jersey. I ended up recording the album in Jamaica. But there was this pulse. There was an urge. There was a charge. I felt responsibility. Because, yes, this album was about my life. It was about my experience. But it was also about sharing the love of music, of bridging a generational gap for an entire generation of people. And this next part is really important, and it really resonated with me, especially thinking about Prince. We have to remember that the people who came before us struggled to make music as authentic as they possibly could. They fought hard, and I grew up with that legacy. I grew up with that musical tradition in me, and I felt a responsibility to soldier through the adversity to deliver to my generation a sound that said we are part of a magnificent continuum, a legacy that cannot be bought, can't be sold, can't be compromised, and that must, must continue on. And I thought about Prince's legacy and, you know, he had his ups and downs. He was internationally known. Um, The wave of popularity was on and off. But the legacy of Prince and what that means is going to be really always going to be pretty personal to the person perceiving it. Um, Because I always get a little annoyed when you see all the the debates on who's better or Prince wasn't all that or Prince was only purple rain. And it, and it's, it bothers me because he means so much <laughs> to me, but mm-hmm. it's like, but the legacy mm-hmm. is so much more than that also. So the legacy is very personal. And so what I want to ask you guys to kind of wrap up, we, we again talked about what it means to be a fan, what it means to be an icon how we connect with our fandoms. We've talked about um, maybe as an icon, what that must feel like or trying to extrapolate how that would feel. And then we talked about legacy. How do you personally connect to Prince um, now, knowing what you know now, knowing what you know about yourself? And how, just how do, how do you, why is he important to you um, for your own personal perspective and we can start with Visayo. yeah so prince is uh still important to me now because of the reasons he always was um versus the music and lyrics they were always big lyrics and big music and that was attractive to me there are also a lot of aspects of his career that i really admired and i kind of wanted to reflect in my own which is kind of what they've been referring to in these articles that we were reading um 
at the time when Prince became really important to me, I was a young black girl, still am, but I was at a PWI, mm-hmm. um, predominantly white institution. And so it was really important to me as I would like read about Prince and learn about him, how he was navigating his space as a black man. And especially at that level of excellence, it was just really important to me and where I was because I felt a lot of insecurities about my own preparedness, um, about how I would, you know, make my way in this field where I am a minority, even down to where I am in my classrooms, that kind of thing. Um So that was really important. It kind of gave me something to hold on to at that time. And kind of what you were referring to, uh, Erica, it's pretty much the same thing that's always going to be significant to you, um, even as you kind of move on from that phase in your life. Um, So now those are still the reasons why he's important to me. I've also been able to meet all of you. I've learned a whole lot um, about Prince in this phase of life that's been important to me and about how I can... um, kind of present myself to the world and that's still really significant um yeah so I haven't really felt the need to disengage from Prince I mean I don't know the music's still good so (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay um how about you Erica I guess it's my turn um I guess, I mean, I mentioned earlier, um, I really got into Prince when I was younger because it just, his music really, it was what I needed to hear at the right time. And then, you know, when I met, when he passed away and I I met all of you, it just got so much deeper and it became kind of a social, a a, a social thing and, you know, to talk about something that I liked with, you know, people that I had things in common with. And I, I mean, I'm still here, <laughs> of course, because of the music and also because um, going so deep into his catalog kind of reminded me why I liked music and, you know, the different feelings that you could have. And um, it made me start looking into other artists and getting, you know, really deep into some other some other styles and whatever, um, I guess. And I, I don't, I haven't disengaged from you guys, but I would say as far as the general fan community, I've like, I've unfollowed almost everything because it started to be not fun. (laughs) It started to be overwhelming. And a lot of like when anything comes out, it's like, ah, well, like the piano and a microphone 83 stuff came out. I was like, wow, I expected better from the estate. But to me personally, when I listened to that, I felt so many things and I, you know, oh, it made me laugh. And I, I got a little misty at parts. I won't lie. And I, you know, I want to have those emotions still and not be influenced by people who weren't as taken by it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I'm still here for the music. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about just... why you disengaged from, like, purple internet? Um, I, like I said, it just, it wasn't fun anymore. Um, it got a lot of stuff that I see anytime there's an announcement. It's met with backlash. And 
why is it this? Why isn't this getting released? Oh, it should be this. It should be done this way. The estate is messing up this. Um, you know, and those aren't necessarily things that I disagree with, but I also, it's so hard for me to see that much negativity in something that I'm really passionate about and something that I really genuinely like. And it was, it, it's hard to just live in that culture all the time of like, how are you, how do you constantly find something to be mad about? Mm -hmm. Can you just like a thing? And can you explain, like, mm -hmm. you know, even the blackish episode, which was great. It was like, mm, I better do it right. And it was like, oh, God. can we just ex like, they did number one, yeah. but can we like start off with giving them the benefit of the, of the doubt? And even if they didn't just exposing, you know, him, to people who might not know or might not know where they can find more and, you know, how they, I don't know. It was, it's just kind of the constant negativity and state of the fandom, to be honest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's hard to take. And I just, I unfollowed everything and I, I get my news from you, Kanisa. <laughs> <laughs> just put me out in front of everybody. Thanks. <laughs> well, you are. Always tell us. Yeah. <laughs> You're so well-connected. <laughs> yeah, but, so. yeah. So, I feel that a lot because there's so much negativity. And then I always tell myself, don't read the comments, don't read the comments. And I always do. And I'm just like, oh, this, it, like, breaks my heart sometimes, like, the negativity and how mm -hmm. people are like, Prince wouldn't have liked this Blackish episode. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. Goodness gracious. Or, Did you see the New Girl episode? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So... But, okay, so back to, you know, the question um, of how it feels now to be a Prince fan. And I'm just going to, I know we like to word fam and didn't like the word fan, but I think all of us are fans of what that means to varying degrees. So let's be real. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, before he passed, I was pretty, like, we've all done the origin stories, heard it when I was, like, 10 years old, um, through the 90s. He was there. He was just always there. And, um, you know, and be on BT or Video Soul or whatever shows, he was just kind of a constant presence that was just out of reach. But for me, the, the deeper connection didn't come until college when I, you know, the songs became more than something that sounded good. It was something that I could personally connect to because I had gone through some things in my life. And like Visayo, I was at a PWI as well. And so, you know, being the representative person of color and sometimes even woman in the classes that are very science and math oriented, it, it's kind of like it was like a safe space to some degrees. But also, you know, the the sexuality part being like because I, I didn't connect to that part of myself until I was at least 20. And so to hear some of the songs, like I think I remember Incense and Candles is a special song to me because um I, uh, it was just like, oh, it was like an oh moment. I'm like, oh, that's what that's for. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's an interesting thing. Cause we had the, you know, the aunties episode where they talked about that, that learning of themselves as women through Prince and being okay to accept that part of themselves, um, and to express themselves, um, fully in their femininity and their womanhood through, you know, it's like a sexual nature. It was uh, it was an awakening a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
But also, it's always a thing that I have struggled with personally, and not even from a sexual perspective, but intimacy. And intimacy is a heavy theme in a lot of his songs and loneliness and things like that. And that's kind of something that I carry with me personally a lot. So Prince has kind of been a way to, like I think I've said before, give me a vocabulary for things that I have always thought about but have never said out loud. So I can hear songs like Rapop Go to Zippa and, you know, it's sexual, <laughs> like I mentioned before, and I'm like, why am I on the floor in my shower crying because of this song? And it's it's because of, you know, he's expressing something that I haven't experienced the way he said it, but also it's something that I'm maybe I'm a little afraid to experience or how do you open yourself up to receiving things that should be part of a life as a human? Like sex is part of that and not even sex, but intimacy, building relationships with people is part of that. Um, knowing yourself and receiving pleasure and not just sexual pleasure, but this is a good thing and I deserve good things to happen to me. And these are things that I didn't really consider until like I was 21 or sometimes I'm still struggling to consider now at 33. So it's like Prince to me, cause I always prefer to him as, you know, very bad boyfriend or whatever in his current form. It's like this mirror. And when you hear these songs, wow, I'm initial. <laughs> when you hear these songs, it kind of like makes you see yourself, but like a very clear version of yourself. Like you have to, he's, he, he makes you, feel things in the moment so you have to deal with them you can push them away you can project them onto him and say oh prince is my boyfriend and i would do this but no what is the actual whole or what is he addressing that you can't experience or that you don't have in your real life like what hole is he feeling because it's not something that's going to preserve like it's not going to persevere it's not going to last it, it's 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 something that you have to address because if you address it with Prince and, you know, project it all on Prince, it's, it's going to be a band-aid. So you really have to like zoom out and think about why do I get so upset when I hear news about something his estate's done? Why do I get so upset when I see Let's Go Crazy on a Capital One commercial or whatever song that is? Why do I care yeah. about that? What is it that I actually care about in the moment? And it's not the song. It's not that, you know, he wouldn't have wanted it because who knows what he wants because he did commercials for Verizon too. And it's like, what am I actually upset about here? And I just, when I see people get upset about stuff like that, it's like, I wish that you would just stop for a second and pull back and think about that. Because I think it's have very... a little perspective. Yeah. Because if you mm -hmm. zoom out even further, because we talked about some of the other fandoms, like Beyonce's fans are crazy in the way that Prince fans are crazy. And it's like... Frankly, I'm surprised Jay-Z is alive. <laughs> like... <laughs> Right. Yeah, I agree. So it's like, <laughs> it, it's very human, the way that we engage with friends, but also it's very personal. And I just want people, like, when they get upset, like, I get so annoyed about stuff, but it's not because I'm mad at the person. It's because I want them to think more of themselves and to live with more purpose and to not use Prince, like, something I say, Prince is an agitator and not an avatar. Don't think, do things because Prince would do them. Do things because it's the right thing to do because he didn't always do the right thing. And it's like, live <laughs> for you. Prince can give you inspiration, but he could also give you inspiration for things not to do, you know? But just like, right. yes, he gave you, he gives us so much, you know, he, he's so good. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> A little bit of that. He, but there's also the good stuff too. Like there are songs about um, 
I think you'll love like jazz. Baby, I don't care what you learn in love making school. You and me, we're about to jam. We gon' jam, baby. Make love like the first woman and man. I don't wanna know ahead of time. The note you play should be a reaction to my reaction to my plan or contrived. sexual or whatever but there's a bigger lesson in that in like live live for the moment live for to be to live to be to live <laughs> if that makes sense and not for anybody else but for you and what you need to do to learn the lessons that you need for your life if that makes sense okay so amen very god boyfriend <laughs> thank you um and Sometimes I will listen and sometimes I will put things away for where I don't want to address it right now. But I appreciate the opportunities to learn myself through the study of your music. <laughs> so thanks for listening to my sermon on Prince. I am a, <laughs> a Prince witness. Okay. No. So <laughs> where can they find you on the internet, you guys? Uh, Fasayo? I am on Twitter at Fasayo Adet. F-I-S-A-Y-O-A-D-E-T. That's on Twitter. And then at Tumblr, I'm at Just Prince Things. That's just-prince-things.tumblr.com. Okay. And Erica? Um, I am on Instagram as Erica Estrada, E-R-I-K-A-S-T-R-A-D-A. And on Twitter, it's just search the same thing. You'll find me. And then Tumblr... I am the dash beautiful dash one, the number one. Uh, yeah, find me there. Okay. Yelling about stuff into the void. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Darling Nisi. That's Darling Nisi on Twitter as well as Tumblr. And we are part of the Prince Podcast by Michael Dean. And so we will see you next time. Bye. Some people claim to know me. Chose this path. I was just trying to be a little old guitar playing man. <laughs> Tell them all that it's bill collectors and fanatics. They can all just. They can all just. They can all just. Move their blanks on to another land. <laughs> Tell them mom's to the left of you, then to left to the right. The biggest fan in the front saying, I'm gonna leave my husband tonight, yeah. Tell them mom's to left to the right. I love you, I love you too, but not the band. Oh, that, you missed that, didn't you? You missed that. I love you too, but not the band. <laughs>